wicked forsake their thoughts and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to God that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. King of the Jews, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. journey from afar in search of the one who is to be born King of the Jews. As we inhabit the wonder and the awe of the wandering wise men, may we too remember that it is in Christ that trials give way to joy, that wickedness gives way to justice, that unrighteousness gives way to faith, that doubt gives way to hope, that questions give way to answers, and that enmity between us and God gives way to enduring and eternal friendship with our Lord. This morning, may we, enjoy, may we join our hearts with the wandering wise men in search of our triune God who is in himself inexhaustible goodness, truth, and beauty. Would you stand and sing with us?
seated. This morning, the image of the week for our Advent journey is a lamp, representative of seeking and asking. On that theme, let's pray together. O Lord, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on this second Sunday of Advent, we pause to notice and acknowledge that we are part of a world that is seeking. Truly, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We need the lamplight of your truth and your love to guide us back to our home in you. Do you hear our deepest questions and our longings? Do you know our darkness? Light of the world, please shine into the darkest places of our lives and overcome them. We offer ourselves to you, knowing you will guide us step by step as we walk in the light of your truth, rooted in your love. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Everyone needs a true north, a guiding light. Like a lighthouse on a pier. Or like a bright star in the night sky. Or like the glowing screen of Google Maps so I don't get lost. Or like, nope, or like a student learning from a teacher. That's right. And here's what's super interesting about God and us. Often we think we are the ones who search for God, but what's more true is that God has come seeking for us first. Yes, and the Bible says that we love because he loved us first. Today we light the second candle of Advent to symbolize the love that is found by seeking and asking. The image of the lamplight symbolizes truth and the inner flame of love, God's love in us. But what if I still have questions about truth and love or about God and myself? Then you're in good company for questions are a way of seeking true north. And seeking leads to finding, which is always fun. What truth is guiding you this Advent? Where are you finding love? What's your lamplight? What questions do you have on the journey? Who do you want to invite to come along? God invite, invites all of us. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Fellow Wanderers, the journey continues. Sisters in Christ, Jesus Christ, whose advent we announce this season, is the King that the prophets foretold, 
and the wise men sought and found. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us exchange this, sorry. <laughs> Where am I? What day is it? Let us exchange the side of the peace with one another as you are comfortable and able. I am one of the pastors here at Fellowship where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, if you are new with us, if this is your first Sunday here, or maybe you've been here for a couple of weeks and you are ready to take that next step so you get to know us a little bit better as a community, uh, there are some connection cards in the back that look exactly like that. Uh, they're, in the, they're right by the giving bowls, the, the beautiful wooden bowls in the back. Um, you can fill one of those out. Uh, you can give it to one of the pastors, or you can take it over to the Welcome Center. There's some great folks there who would love to meet you and greet you by name and help you to get to know our church a little bit better. A couple of announcements for us today. Um, first, uh, this evening we are hosting our Seeking Light in Advent service. Uh, this is a service that kind of sits in the already and the not yet of this season. Uh, it's a way for us to mark and to acknowledge that um, we live in a world in which sometimes we are both joyful and also grieving simultaneously. And there's a tinge of sadness even as we celebrate the, the birth of Christ. And so uh, if you find yourself grieving this season, mourning this season, lamenting this season, uh, whether the tangible death of a loved one or something in your life has died, we invite you to join us for this service tonight at 6 p.m. here um, in the sanctuary. Uh, this morning also marks the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, we are continuing our journey with the wandering wise men, and there are three wise men hidden in the sanctuary. Can you, can you find, anyone found all three? Oh, wow, you guys are great. <laughs> you win. <laughs> 10,000 fellowship points for you. Uh, so uh, some of you have had a lot of fun hiding these around your home um, over the last week. And in fact, if you turn your eyes to the screen, there's some folks who are sharing the joy of their little kiddos finding the wise men. Take a look. Hello, traveler. Say, we could use a wandering wanderer like you to help us search for the king. <laughs> well, thrilled that you are continuing the joy of seeking and finding this season with us. Um, at this time, children ages three uh, years old up through fifth grade are dismissed to follow Miss Betsy or meet Miss Betsy outside. Yes. 
Um, and if you are older than fifth grade, you are welcome to stand and join us in singing. Thank you. this guy amateur hour it's like they served him brunch in between or something so much for the magical moment but regardless your grace is big enough oh god so may it be so that you may come and light our hearts that we might uh, find that our true and only hope is you uh, is in you oh christ in jesus name we pray amen my friends, we are uh, on our way uh, through this Advent series, and we have just completed our first week in the Wandering Wiseman and God's great grand invitation. We hope uh, that you'll join us if you haven't already. There are, uh, as the video showed, just a lot of fun. It's been a hoot for our family to hide the little wise guys and for us to even look for the wise guys in the sanctuary. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, I found one. 
But what our real hope is, is not just that we find little wise guys hanging out in our house or in the sanctuary, but that we might encounter uh, Jesus. That the real reason for Christmas, the real advent that we long for is that Christ will, uh, has come and will come again to make all things right as it was uh, and as it will be. But there's a lot of things going on in our lives that kind of help uh, cover up some of that kind of reason for the season or that real heart of Christmas, isn't there? I mean, some really good things too, not all bad things, but just a lot of good, a lot of things, you know, like a parades uh, this past week. Anybody go to the Parade of Lights on Tuesday night? I don't know how there wasn't more of you because it seemed like there was a billion people down there when I was trying to drive through downtown. Uh, but there were a ton of people. And if you haven't been there before, they have this uh, thing in Holland, apparently, where uh, Sinterklaas, is that right? Is Sinterklaas? Is that the right? Yeah, Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas? Klaus? I don't know how you Dutch people uh, say it. Uh, some version of Santa Claus marches down with his little elves. Uh, and it's a way to remember uh, Sinterklaas, which is... Uh, 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 historically in the Dutch tradition, a saint, uh, a saint of children who actually passed out gifts in December, uh, this weekend, actually, December 5 and 6 or 7 or 8 or something like that. And I find it interesting how uh, Sinterklaas is one of the um, basis of the tradition. I'll try to be conscious of mixed company around here a little bit. But uh, Santa Claus was based on some of the tradition of Sinterklaas. Uh, and, and it's a little interesting to me that Santa Claus has turned into kind of a, what, like a magic genie where you just, you know, rub the magic genie and, and this poof, it shows up through your fireplace. There is a gift, whatever you wanted, exactly from your Amazon wish list or the URL you happen to send to mom and dad just shows up under the Christmas tree. And to be honest, it gets me a little bit like, uh, is Christmas really about this? Like sending URL links to my family so they can get me what I really want, even though I buy whatever I want most of the time. And I guess I'm a little bit of an idealist. I, I guess there's some times where I can get a little bit grumpy about the consumeristic way that we do Christmas at times, and maybe you can relate. And, and I recognize that it's really meaningful for some folks, and for me included, to give Gifts, gifts that people enjoy, people, the gifts that I know the receiver will like, uh, and not just the gifts that I want to give them for them to receive. And sometimes it's really helpful to bless each other with these tangible expressions of our love and care, and, as, and they can serve as a physical reminder of, of a gift that was given by someone that you care about, like the shirt that I'm wearing today. It makes me wrestle, though, a little bit with what I really want for Christmas. What do I really want not for Christmas as much as what do I want from Christmas? What am I seeking after this Advent season? And maybe more poignantly for today and kind of our focus for this morning is what, what do I desire? What do I desire at Christmas time and what do I most desire in my life? Last week, Pastor Tierra talked about the great lengths that God would go to rescue the people who were in exile. She was telling us about how in Isaiah chapter 50, or in chapter 55 of Isaiah, Isaiah is writing to a people who, due to their own culpability and their own rejection of God, found themselves crushed. I think she talks something about being crushed like a team up north did to a team down south in their own home stadium last week. Was that what it was about, Tira? I can't remember exactly what happened. It was something about that team crushing the other team. I don't know, but apparently it was like Judah crushing uh, Jerusalem, ransacking the temple and sending the people uh, into exile in Babylon. Foreigners that were now living in a foreign land and those that didn't become foreigners were pawns in an occupied state of Israel. Tira highlighted the great cost that God would incur uh, to rescue those people and take them back to God. And not only that, but the mysterious ways that God would, would use to, to bring about foreigners, this cocktail of uh, astrology and astronomy to lead wise guys, wanderers into Bethlehem to encounter the Christ child which is a long way of saying for me, despite our ignorance of God, despite our rejection of God, God is the one that still initiates. God still invites. God is the one that seeks after those that are farthest off from him. 
And so with Isaiah, God says, come, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. God acts, God invites, God yearns for creation to be brought back to himself and all that is wrong to be made right again. This week, we've been invited to consider for a moment our human response to God's great invitation. And we heard that in Isaiah chapter 55 and Matthew chapter 2, which I'll read again, starting in the sixth verse of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. And then in Matthew 2, the Magi ask Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he, this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for it is written, for this is a, what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers. For out of you, a ruler will come who will shepherd people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The wandering Jews in exile are invited, maybe even somewhat commanded with the imperative of Isaiah to seek, to call, to turn, or maybe even return to God. The magi, the wise guys, the wandering folks, after their long journey to Herod, ask, where is he? Where is the one who has been born? Where is this Christ child? Which is essentially the same question that Herod then in turn asked the Jewish leaders, where's the Messiah to be born? Where is he? Where is the Christ? They're wanderers like you, like me, who have been explicitly invited by God and they responded by seeking, by pursuing, by looking for Christ. What if your presence here this morning is a testimony to the Spirit's work stirring in you enough curiosity to come to worship this morning, regardless of your kind of attitude that you come skeptical of the Christian movement maybe, or maybe you come a little bit cynical that this church thing has anything good for the world, or maybe you come full of faith and eager to encounter your God, or maybe just out of a sense of duty or habit, you're here. No matter how you came this morning or with what attitude, I wonder if somehow the Holy Spirit was working in you and put just enough curiosity in you to join us for worship this morning. You came, whether online or in person, God invited you and you responded. You acted, you followed through, you sought the Christ. I'd like to contend this morning that what's behind that willingness to seek, to pursue, to come to worship is a desire, a yearning for something more, a longing for life to be better. We might call it desire, but what desires do you have in your life? I think this is why Santa is so well-loved and why the tradition keeps getting passed on and passed on. It's the nostalgia of, of, of something good that we remember. It's the concept of justice that rewards the, the nice and punishes the naughty. It's the generosity of a gift that can be given for the enjoyment of someone else. It's the mystery of the impossible and the possibility that dreams can come true. Santa taps on our desire for something more for something that we long to be true in this world and, and long to be true in each one of us. This week, I've been uh, in a state of confession for, for a little while with some of you and with some of my other friends uh, about my borderline obsession, idolatry even, maybe my deepest desire for Michigan football to succeed. And so I read articles, I pursue new stories, I play out playoff scenarios in these simulators that ESPN has all because I don't know why, but I'm crazy. In one of the articles I read, interestingly, the author named the Michigan football team's desire 
their desire to win as the primary motivation for them in practice. Not just last week to get that game under the call, but also the game last night. Come on! I just wish we could cheer the same way for the U.S. soccer team. That was a bummer yesterday morning. Point being, our desires shape our actions. They motivate us to reach for something, to do something beyond the normal, to aspire for something great. So we follow our dreams. We yearn for the upset. We pray for the miraculous recovery. We work hard in school to go go after that great job. We give gifts and we even generously give of ourselves for others. Our desires shape our actions and motivate so much of what we do and our actions in turn begin to shape us. David Brooks wrote a book called Climbing the Second Mountain or something like that. And he talks a little bit about desire, which I found fascinating. Are you guys seeing it already? Awesome. Um, He uses this metaphor of climbing the second mountain. And he says that second mountain people that are mature and generous and gracious and live this kind of life, uh, their desires have actually been transformed. And so he, uh, in his own way, he confesses that this is probably too oversimplified, uh, six levels of desire. And he talks a little bit about the first three-ish uh, t- uh, desires are kind of our first mountain desires. And the second uh, three are kind of our, our uh, more uh, second mountain desires. We have a kind of innate material pleasure desire that we're going to have nice food, nice car, nice house, Santa stuff I said up there. And a, a desire for our ego to be inflated or better uh, than what we uh, were before. So we want to become well-known or rich or desire to be successful or to win victories and and recognition, kind of like my borderline obsession with Michigan football. We have a desire for intellectual pleasure, to learn about things, to understand the world that God made and the way in which we interact with it. And then the three kind of positive desires of generativity, fulfilled love, and transcendence that you can read up there. For Brooks, second mountain people move from those maybe a little bit more surface desires in the beginning to the latter latter three desires. In a sense, naming them as good, to be good and is to be generous, to be loving and to be uh, full of integrity. Which kind of has me wondering though, uh, if you look at this system of, of oversimplified levels of desire, how would you classify the Magi's desire to come find the Christ? What was his, what were their, what was their motivation? Clearly they had some desire. I mean, you wouldn't leave house and home and all the comforts of being in your own home country. You wouldn't pack up all of your belongings, taking really nice gifts for this child that you've never met. You wouldn't sacrifice months, if not years, traveling across a desert if you didn't have a desire for something more, would you? This kind of pursuit needs the fuel of desire to do something so outlandish. So what level of desire do you think was their motivation? Was it one of the first three, the latter three? Hmm. Do they want to just be the first ones there so that maybe they can somehow get something from the king? Do they want to be known as the first foreigners to arrive at the Christ child's hometown of Bethlehem? Do they want to just know more things? They were obviously curious. They knew about the planets and the stars and they were able to follow them. Were they just trying to gain more intellectual? Did they desire intellectual knowledge? Did they desire to be generous? Were they bringing gifts truly to be what they're supposed to do, paying homage and honor to a king that they didn't yet know? Or were they seeking some kind of relationship, a deeper understanding of knowing and and being known, not only by the king, but by maybe their fellow companions? Or were they longing for something more in life? Wondering if this new king would bring about a more ideal world. Wondering if this Messiah can save them from the monotony of their very own lives. What layers of desire, or what layer of desire, motivated them to seek the Christ child? I find it interesting to reflect on that a little bit because if you're like me, maybe you feel a little bit of a tinge of, hmm, I project onto the wise men the same reason that I pursue Christ. What's your primary motivation for pursuing Christ? What's your primary desire for coming here this morning? 
If I were to stop preaching right now, you might be left wondering, well, okay, Nate, Christmas is coming and it's a good time to reflect on my desires for the holiday season. Or you might be wondering, I have some surface desires, some borderline obsessions about football or whatever that gets in the way of the more important things in life. And so I need to refocus on those important desires. Or maybe you just are thinking I need to try harder and and to go after those three uh, good desires from books, to be more generous, to be more loving, to be more integrated, or or simply to, to, to be more like Jesus or something generic like that. But But trying harder, pulling up our bootstraps and managing ourselves and a desire to be more rightly desired, that that to me doesn't sound like the good news of the gospel. Where's the grace in that? Where's the gift in that if it's just about me trying harder? What, What if our desires aren't something we need to manage as much as something that we need to steward or let grow? What if our desires are planted deep in us by God and for God's purposes in some way? What if they reveal something about that? I was talking to a friend, Jeff, uh, this week on Wednesday night, uh, right after our meal over here. And I noticed that he was reading this book about the soul of desire or the journey of desire or something. I was like, oh, that's an interesting topic. I'm just thinking about that a little bit this week as well. And he posed a question to me that made me think a little bit differently about desire. He asked, Nate, how do you cultivate desire? Which is an interesting question because it's not how do you control desire? It's not how do you manage desire or even manufacture more desire, but how do you cultivate desire? which to me rightly reveals that our truest and best desires that are in us are planted in us. There's something innate to them that is is inside of us. A desire for God and godly things is innate to us. We've been given this as a gift that we are now mm, invited to steward, to cultivate, to to care for, and to point them in the right directions. C.S. Lewis talked a lot about this in so much of his writing, but he is said to written one of the phrases that he uses or that he kind of uh, talks about is actually a German word, even though he's an English person, and it's the word Zinzucht. That's kind of a funny name. It's kind of fun to say. You want to try it? Zinzucht. And this is like desire, but so much more. It's got a little oomphta to the desire. I mean, it, it, it's, it's like uh, an inconsolable longing, they say uh, in, in German, for what we know not. It's a yearning for something to be true uh, that, that we can't really achieve here on our earthly home. Zenzucht is like a desire, but uh, it points to a reality that the world in which we live in will not satisfy because this world, in this world, all of our deepest desires will not be met. You know this to be true, don't you? No matter how much you desire for the cancer to be taken away, sometimes it lingers with us. No matter how much you desire for life to be like it was when that loved, person, that loved one was still with us, they're not coming back. No matter how much I desire for our family to be the most perfect picture of love and unity, it probably is not going to happen. No matter how much I desire for pain to be gone, no matter how much I long for and desire for the world to be made right, many of our desires leave us wanting. And yet there is within us this innate desire for all to be made right. That's Zenzukt, a world in which love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control reign where all of the world's wrongs are made right. That's Zenzukt. Mere Christianity, one of C.S. Lewis's books, among many others, hinted at this longing for something to be made right. And what I find interesting about it is that that desire for all to be made right is within each and every one of us. And C.S. Lewis would say that that has been given to us by God because there's a satisfaction for us in that, maybe not in this world, but in the next. So he says, just as a duckling wants to swim, well, There's such a thing as water. Just as a baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. 
desires are innate to us because there is a satisfaction for them. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be able to dream or comprehend those desires. Which is why at the end of this quote, he most famously said, I'll put it on the screen, I must keep alive in myself that desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main objective of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. I must not let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must not cover it up with the things of my life, but I must cultivate that zenzuked inside of me. Which brings us back to some of those other desires that we have. And I wonder, what if those desires that we see on the surface of our life, for our team to win, for gifts that will bring us happiness, for a more healthy life, for a more integrated and whole and generous life, what if they're not simply foreign desires that we need to trade out, or, or, but they're illusions, they're foretaste, they're, they're glimpses of what our true, our truest zenzuked, our truest, deepest, biggest desires are? And if that is so, then maybe our task is not to simply abandon those desires, but to pay attention to them and to seek what's behind them to examine them by reflecting, why do I want this thing so bad? What's wrong with this world that I long to be made right? What am I really thirsting for in this desire? And not only pay attention to some of those maybe surface desires, but also cultivate in us that zenzuk, that, that picture of, of, of all the world being made right and participate in it somehow. I can think of no better way to participate in this zenzuk, this, this eternal bliss that we will someday experience than coming right here to this table with my friends and all the friends that have gone before me and gathering at a, a, a table that is, is, is a simple foretaste of, of, a, of a heavenly table that we will one day experience where, where, where bread and cup will be in its bounty and beautiful and filled to the brim a place where friends are gathered and enjoy communion with one another. And maybe most importantly, a table in which Christ is the host. And this Christ knows me and I am fully known by him. My friends, this is the table of our Lord. It's a table of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for creation and all its splendor, for your providential care for us, for meeting our needs day by day, for holding in your own hand our unmet desires, and for the fullness of your love, most visible in the sending of your son, Jesus Christ, into the world, that we might be saved from sin, death, and darkness, and saved for eternal fellowship with you and in you. Son of God, we remember in this supper your perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross for the sin of the whole world. In anticipation of the eternal feast with our triune God, we offer ourselves as holy and living sacrifices. Holy Spirit, grant that this meal may be for us our communion with the body and blood of Christ. Unite us, we pray, to God and to one another, the church of all ages and places. Gather us, unite us, nourish us, and send us to proclaim your invitation to those yet captive. Amen. Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, gathered his disciples, and he took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That same night, after a little time, it passed. Jesus took the cup and he poured it full. There's a towel. <laughs> and he gave it to his disciples saying to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Friends, the bread which we break and the cup which we bless is for us our communion with the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fellowship, we invite all those that love God and are learning to follow Jesus to come to this table. We will receive communion this morning by intinction, which means you will leave uh, out of the left side of your 
seats, walk up front, grab a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and then return back on the right side of your section. Uh, so left, right, you get it. And if it's not, a little holy chaos isn't bad either. Uh, my friends, uh, these are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. And, oh, by the way, please forgive me. We do have a, we'll have a gluten-free station right over here. And if you would like uh, to stay in your seat, you can just raise your hand and someone will serve you uh, right at your table. Come on forward. Uh, these are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. Come, my friends, for all things are now ready.
we pay attention to our desires and cultivate them in such a way that we might experience more of Christ both now and uh, in the life to come. And as you go this week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. And all God's people said, go in peace. Thank <laughs> you.